Might be frustrated sometimes. All right, good morning. Welcome. So I'm sure you're all excited about hearing um, all of the prophecies of Daniel finally, thoroughly, detailedly, convincingly explained to your satisfaction, right? That may not happen this morning. Um, Let's see. Hopefully, am I charging? Yes, I'm charging. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, let, me, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, thank you for your love for us. Lord, we, uh, we know there's horrible things going around the world all the time, but um, most in our face in the news this morning is Ukraine. And Father, we thank you for all the missionaries there. I thank you that you sent me there for a week. Um, Lord, we pray for your mercy We pray that you would protect your people, that you would just have mercy there and use this for the advancement of your kingdom. We pray that people would come to know Jesus through this, um, as we trust they will. Father, we pray for peace. And Father, we pray that um, you would help us to continue to pray for our brothers and sisters who are under attack. And God, we pray for the salvation of Vladimir Putin and even um, the president of Ukraine as well, Zelensky. We pray for his salvation. We pray for the salvation of military leaders and other government officials. Lord, it seems like you saved Nebuchadnezzar, so hey. (laughs) And guess what? You saved us. (laughs) Lord, thank you for saving us. And we pray that you would save these leaders Um, Thank you that you can do it. Thank you that you've done this throughout history to the shock and awe of many. And we pray that you continue to do that, even through our prayers this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I get to teach on Daniel this morning. Um, When I was was sort of shut down for about two or three weeks last year with, apparently it was not COVID, but it certainly seemed similar to COVID, um, I did a lot of reading about the the Assyrians, the Babylonians, uh, the Persians. I was studying the book of Daniel, and um, it was just fascinating to learn more about these empires and these cultures. And um, I'm struck by, I'm struck when I read certain things in the book of Daniel, how, you know, you study in history about these amazing empires, but you often don't hear about God's work through his people in the midst of these empires and that God speaks about this in the Bible. I was shocked. Well, it may have been years ago that I found this out, but it's still amazing that, you know, people like Alexander the Great are prophesied specifically, you know, years and years and years before they came onto the scene. And so we see how God is just sovereign over everything. We talk about this all the time. He wields the nations like tools, you know, and like a sword or like a hammer. And we see that greatly in the book of Daniel. So, why Daniel? Does the world ever feel out of control? You know, these are fresh images, right, from Ukraine. Good morning. As a Christian, I'm starting to feel like a minority in my own country. How do we live as exiles in an increasingly post-Christian culture? 
You know, they're sent into Babylon. We heard that in Jeremiah. Pray, pray for the city. Uh, pray for Babylon. Pray for the people that you're in the midst of. Uh, our country has had a tremendous privilege for a long time of being basically a Judeo-Christian nation with diversity within it. But those principles, you know, that structure of thinking about reality sort of was the overarching narrative that, that people kind of bought into. But uh, I was reading an article recently about the struggle for pastors and an increasingly negative towards Christianity culture in America. Uh, one article said that around 2010 was when like, leaders would publicly say things against Christianity where years before they, they might not have felt safe to do that. I didn't footnote it all or whatever, but, but you know, Peter, is, you see a study of First Peter would say, well, remember, you're, you've been exiles this whole time as Christians. It's just that, you know, there, there were many Christians in your nation, or at least it was influenced by the salt and light of Christianity. And so uh, increasingly, we may feel our exileness more um, culturally, uh, and, and even physically, uh, as many Christians do around the world. And so Daniel can be a real encouragement to us about how do we, how do we live faithfully, not hiding ourselves from interacting with governments and things like that, but how do we remain faithful when, there, when there's pressure to just conform to the world? And then how aware and involved is God in the affairs of nations, right? We, in our heads, we're like, God's sovereign. He wields the nations. We believe that in Sunday school. But sometimes we're still shocked when we see things happen in the world. And so uh, if you look at this map, this is the Babylonian Empire. Uh, and we'll be reminded in Daniel that God, of course, is aware and is sinlessly involved in the affairs of nations. Um, and then where is all this headed? You know, the bridge to nowhere. Sometimes you're like, okay, I know God's sovereign, and I know we'll end up in the New Jerusalem, but, you know, how do you get there from here, you know? Where is all this headed? What's happening? All right. So the book of Daniel identifies the prophet Daniel as its author, uh, and then Jesus mentions Daniel as the author as well. He wrote it most likely between 540 B.C. and 530 B.C. All right, this is my favorite. It's the Bible Project. Now you're like, I cannot read that to save my life. That's good. Neither can I. However, I want us to use this as an overview. And so there should be, uh-oh. Oh, man. I thought there was a, there was a way to expand this. Uh, okay. Well, I'll just tell you. I'll point it up here. Okay. So up here you have these, this is the kind of overall structure of this, all right? It says, hope that motivates faithfulness. So you've got chapter one here, which is in Hebrew. Then you've got chapters two through, five, through seven, which are in Aramaic, which was spoken more broadly uh, in the different regions there in that area, and then you have uh, 8 through 12 are back in Hebrew again. And so what these guys at the Bible Project have pointed out that I think is really fascinating is if you go, you go chapter 1, um, they were 
the, right after the Babylonians attacked um, Jerusalem, they hadn't destroyed the temple yet, but they had sent away the first wave of exiles, and Daniel was one of those, as well as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They have Hebrew names, but that's the names we know them for. They were sent into exile because the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, wanted to recruit the best and brightest from Israel and then conform them to Babylonian culture and, and then help spread that assimilation throughout the people of Israel to assimilate them into Jew, uh, Jewish culture. So he was recruited to serve in Babylon and then started being taught the ways and the literature and all of that of, of Babylon. But then within this structure here, it's really interesting. It goes, you know, on the left, it's got two, three, four going down and then back up five, six, seven. And when you look at the parallels, it's pretty interesting. Uh, on chapter two, you've got the king's dream, the first dream that, Nebuch- uh, that Daniel not only interpreted, but told the king what his dream was. We'll get to that, but all the magicians and, you know, wise men, uh, the king was like, well, tell me what my dream was and interpret it. And they're like, well, no one can tell you what the dream was. You have to tell us the dream first, and then we'll give you the interpretation. Dan- God gave Daniel the knowledge to, to tell the king his dream as well. And so the king's dream, but then over in chapter 7, Daniel's dream. So you've got these sets of three chapters that kind of parallel each other. So chapter 2 and chapter 7 are parallel with the dreams. Chapter 3 and chapter 6 are parallel with these tests that God miraculously delivers his people out of, these punishments for resisting idolatry and then the Lord's deliverance of them. You've got the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then you've got uh, the lion's den in chapter 6. And then down here you have Nebuchadnezzar's pride and Belshazzar's pride. What's the difference? Nebuchadnezzar repented. Now, you know, I haven't studied sort of what he did after this time, and maybe he was still a ruthless, merciless killer, maybe, I don't know, but the language, and we're going to read it, when he's praising the God of Daniel, acknowledging the God of Daniel to be the true God of heaven, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in heaven, which is just amazing to think about. Like, of all the least likely converts, that's why I was praying for Vladimir Putin's salvation, because we shouldn't be like, I mean, if you can, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's like, I mean, I know you could save me and all, but I mean, I mean, that was easy, right? So, I mean, but Nebuchadnezzar, you know, we can pray for anyone's salvation. And this is such an amazing encouragement for evangelism, right? You're like, what if you're eating lunch with Nebuchadnezzar, right? You're like talking to him over, you know, beef O'Brady's. Would this guy ever come to faith? Well, it may take him being sent out into a field and like growing feathers and claws for a while, but you know, eventually he will. You'll, we'll see that. But then Belshazzar's pride, he did not repent and he was assassinated. Um, and then you've got the visions of Daniel. So Daniel's second vision, verse chapter 8, Daniel's prayer, chapter 9, and then Daniel's third vision takes up chapters 10 through 12. And... Um, I'm not going to be able to explain all the prophecies to you this morning, but um, I don't know. I'll talk to Joel. Maybe we should take another week and look into those more deeply. We'll see. Or not. Um, But uh, I just wanted you to see this overall structure. And they point out this great thing, this amazing principle that you see in these prophecies. Um, 
it, it talks about a pattern and a promise for all the nations. Human beings become beasts when they don't acknowledge God's kingdom. God will one day confront the beast and rescue his world. So, you know, Romans 1, they suppress the knowledge of God that they were born with because they're in the image of God. They kind of shoved it down under the surface of the water. And then they worshiped creatures. And then what did they become like? The creatures. You become like what or whom you worship. That's this principle. That's how we were designed. If, if there's a worship muscle in your body, the more you work that worship muscle, the more you conform to whom you're worshiping. And so, that's, so you'll see these image, images of beasts in these prophecies, um, and they refer to rebellious, idolatrous nations that reject God and oppress the world. And so just this principle of the, the beasts and things like that. Um, all right. I'm using Google Slides because I kept, uh, PowerPoint kept like freezing me out and, and losing my presentation. So, I, sorry, I thought I could zoom on this, but I couldn't. All right. So, theological themes in Daniel God is sovereign and powerful. So, the deliverance, quote unquote, deliverance. Let's look at chapter one, verses one through seven. I'll read that. Daniel 1, 1-7. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. You hear that? That's the deliverance. You know, he delivered him into his hand. Not a fun deliverance, right? With some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So God gave the king of Israel into Nebuchadnezzar's hand and allowed Nebuchadnezzar to take some of the treasures, the vessels from the temple, and take them into the house of his God. It's like, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Like, uh, yeah, like, what? Yeah, okay. All right. Then the king, verse 3, commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of no, the nobility, youths without blemish. Of good, I don't, When I was a teenager, I don't think I would have made it, you know, looking in the mirror. You know, I, 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 I would have stayed in Israel, I guess. Um, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the water that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So that's the story of God delivering the king of Israel into, um, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Okay, and then you got the diet. Um, I try not to make fun of too, like, Christian culture stuff in America, but this one's kind of an easy target. Has anyone heard of that book, The Daniel Diet? Mm -hmm. Raise your hand. Okay. Um, if you've tried it and it's helped you, great, but 
This com- it, it's like, hey, Daniel and his friends ate vegetables and drank water. You should, and they were, they looked healthy to the king, so you should too. I haven't read it, but I'm just assuming that's the premise, okay? So I could be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong. That is completely the, missing the point of what's, what you're about to read that happens here, okay? Daniel chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. Again, how God shows his power. Now, I know some of you are like plant-based. That's cool, whatever, but just, just, just read what he says. So he listened to them in this matter. This is about the, they didn't want to eat the king's food and drink the king's wine because they're trying to keep the, the laws that God gave them about clean foods and unclean foods. And so, but there was this pressure there. And the king's eunuch would get in trouble if he let them only eat vegetables and they sort of started looking puny. Like the whole point was to kind of like buff them up, you know, strengthen them. So uh, verse 14 says, So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. This is just an example of God's miraculous intervention to allow them to be faithful to his word, right? And and think about the temptation that you would face, right? Who's going to know, right? Like, hey, you've been sent off. You know, it's like you go away to college. Like, my parents don't know what I'm doing now. Woo, you know. They're sent off to Babylon, in one sense, who's going to know? They, could, they have an excuse, right? The king made me do it, right? He commanded me to eat these foods. But they were willing to risk their lives in order to obey God. That's just an example. There's this theme of, you know, God may deliver you, he may not, but we're called to trust him in the midst of this pressure to conform. And it would be tempting to eat great food, right? The king, king Nebuchadnezzar probably had good taste in food, and... Um, but they, they stood fast, and God honored that in this way, in this case, by a miracle demonstrating his power. Um, before we move on, any thoughts on any of those things? Anything come to mind? Well, so yeah, ham sandwiches, right? Here's ham and American cheese on white bread, like the most gentile Gentile food you could eat, right? Yeah. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah. Hmm. To help to, to keep their identity. Hmm. And when you came to faith, God gave us a new name too. Hmm. He wants us to know our identity. Hmm. And we, it's important our name. Yeah. And to, how we identify ourselves with others. Hmm. And, and you're thinking about the diet as well. You know, every, like you started out at the beginning, in every culture and every time, we have to look at the word of God and say, what's going to keep me from That's right. Yeah. Yeah, good call. Yeah, good call. Yeah.
Yeah, good point. So I'm trying to take the volume off here. Um, yeah, good point about the names and how God changed people's names at times, like Jacob to Israel. Yeah. Yeah, what would you say our name is now? <laughs> what, Cheryl, what do you, God's given us a new name. Where do we find that? What, what passages point that to us? Well, besides the Revelation passage, um, just being called a saint. Yeah. Just being called in Christ. I mean, yes. Yeah. yeah, and like at our baptism, we're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Sort of like we get God's last name as our new last yeah. name. Sure. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think I told some of you the year I turned 40, I, ca- I played that card twice with Laura that like, hey, don't hate me, but I'm going to do this anyway. Um, I got a motorcycle and a tattoo, and in my tattoo, that's a ship that says inheritance of the beloved. My name means beloved, David, but that's the hardest thing for me to believe is I'm beloved. So it's like, hey, right in your face, right in your mirror. But, I should have gotten it reversed so I could see it in the mirror, but whatever. <laughs> All right, but that's a great point about names. Anything else come to mind? She said okay, by the way. She, she reluctantly said okay. I didn't just walk all over. Right? Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> it's a tame, a tame midlife crisis. I gave the bike away to my best friend before we moved here. All right, but I didn't undo the tattoo. All right, uh, anything else come to mind as we're talking about these things? No. No. Yeah. And so what so many love to do is to do it. And that could be food, it could be sex, it could be food that was sacrificed to idols. And that that really becomes hard. And I think about these guys completely immersed in this culture. They they may not even have the written word available to them. And Hmm. what was taught them before might be all they have to rely upon. But to Hmm. bring uh, and and Cheryl's referring to Revelation two, you know, Mm -hmm. how Yeah, and another real quick thing about the name that comes to my mind is the intimacy. Oh, a white stone with a name written on it that no one else knows, you know. Like, you have pet names for your spouse. You know, it's kind of like that. There's this intimacy of that naming. All right, and then the dream, chapter 2, verse 27 to 30. This is, um, this is Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And then uh, I'll read this out loud to you. Chapter 2, verses 27 to 30. Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries has uh, made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, But in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. And then he goes on and 
tells him what he saw. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, image mighty and exceeding brightness. And this is these different, the head of gold, the torso of uh, silver, bronze, and then iron and iron and clay. The statue, there were these different empires. This is God's power to reveal to Daniel not just the meaning of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, again, but the very dream itself. And all the wise men that God said, you got to tell me the dream or I'm going to kill you. So that way I know you're like real wise men, you know, real, you know, whatever. And they, they were like, well, no one can do that. And so he was about to kill them. And Daniel interceded for them and said, no, wait, I can tell you. And he saved their lives. And then they ended up persecuting him again later. But, um, but he interceded for these, intervened for these wise men, these astrologer guys and magicians. And then the furnace. Um, Daniel chapter 3, 24 to 29. And Dave, one quick note. Yeah. Uh, those guys, Daniel and his wife, mm-hmm. they were magi. Yes, yeah. right. Just for the Christmas story. Yes. Yeah, good call. Thank you. Just a minor no, right. Well, that's, yeah. And so you can see how perhaps God used Daniel be, I mean, when, the, when Nebuchadnezzar makes a proclamation that, you know, whoever speaks against Daniel's God is going to get killed, you know, torn limb from limb, people might sort of look into Daniel's God, right? And so the presence of the Israelites praying for and blessing Babylon and then staying there during the Persian Empire and stuff, these, the biblical narrative perhaps was ro- woven into, it was spread into the culture. And so these magi with the star and stuff the promise of the Messiah um, may have been revealed to them through Daniel and other faithful believers. And so Daniel is sort of the context for the Magi coming to worship Jesus. That's great. Good point. So the furnace. Um, I didn't grow up in the church, and so you know, I was always sort of playing catch-up. I had flannel graphs in preschool, but you know, some of you may be super familiar with this, and I am at this point, but you know, you don't know where... There, hopefully there's people in Sunday school who maybe just came to faith and haven't heard all these stories. So I want to read this. Um, Daniel chapter 3, verses 24 to 29. Again, this is the power of God. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? So he had cast Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace because they wouldn't bow down and worship the statue that the king had made. They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Think about that. Their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. That's like... Eat, just think about that. <laughs> Nothing. It's like it never happened. Right? Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him 
and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. And then he, then he promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So again, God's amazing power. And then the humiliation of Nebuchadnezzar. You know, this powerful ruler who is full of pride, God had the power to humble him. And again, thinking about outreach and helping people come to know Jesus and who, who is savable, who's not, God just reminds us, like, they could be making fun of you as you're sharing the gospel with them, but God is able to humble them. Um, as a quick story, I got to play tennis with my friend Ken Lizio that I've been playing tennis with for months now who doesn't know the Lord. And he's moving on Monday to go up to Virginia. And we've had lots of conversations. And, um, and you know, I, it, I mean, it was really sad that he's moving. And I've obviously been praying for him and wanting to come to know Jesus. Some of you have been praying for him with the, the letters that I send out for the Evangelize Today thing. And I was like, hey, can I pray for you um, before you go? And he was like, no, there's no man upstairs. You prayed for my back, and it didn't get better, and so I'd rather you not, whatever. I said, well, I'm going to pray for you on my own, you know. And I just cried in my truck, just like, oh, God, please save him, you know. It's so sad. Like, he has no one. He's, like, he knew one guy here, and then, like, I think I was, like, his only other friend while he was here, basically. And it's just so sad. And I'm, like, mad at him and sad and, like, ah, save him, you know. But just this reminder, God is able to humble him. And hopefully the love that God showed him through me will make a difference over time. Um, but... God's able to humble him. Would someone read Daniel chapter 4, 28 to 33 for us, please? Raise your hand if you got it, so, so we'll know. All right, Debbie's got it. Daniel 4, 28 to 33. Oh, well, hold on. Debbie, you got it? Oh, okay. Oh, I thought you read your, read your hand. Okay. Thank you. Amazing. God is able to humble him. And we'll read later his, his like awakening moment, right? And then the den. These are all the 
Sunday school stories, right? Famous stories, but let's read them. Uh, Daniel 6, 19 to 27. Who wants to read that? Daniel 6, 19 to 27. I know we're reading a lot of scripture here, but we're trying to just cover the main things that happen in Daniel. So, um, But if you have a thought or a question as we're doing this, please jump in. Wendy, you got it? Thanks. Amazing. So not just Nebuchadnezzar, but King Darius, right? Making this proclamation. Everyone should honor the God of Daniel. He's the only God who can do these things, and his kingdom will be forever. Like, man, it's just amazing. Before we move on, what is, I mean, God rescued Daniel, God rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even though they said, but if God doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to serve you know, your idol. What's stirring in you as you are reminded of these things or maybe hearing these things for the first time? Right. I mean, so there's this, it's being in this foreign land, being in this world, building relationships and staying fast, mm. and going back to our God is what we're called to do. And how God uses mm. that, you know, you may never know, or we might know. And then you get to Belshazzar, uh, and he doesn't even know there's a man named Daniel in his kingdom. Huh. You know, his grandma has to come and say, you know, Nebuchadnezzar. Mm. 
That's great. Yeah, you can. Part part of holding fast is not having a oh to to heck with you attitude, right? Being being distinct doesn't mean being offensive unnecessarily. And 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 God gave Daniel favor, relational favor with these rulers, which is amazing. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and the irony, you know. It seems like Daniel and his friends were faithful to the Lord while they were in, in Israel, probably, but they got swept away with the other exiles. Like, they had to be exiled, too. And I love that, that God's like, if you're not faithful to me, I'll scatter you among the nations, but he actually used the very scattering to save people, <laughs> to save Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> he wanted, he yes, yes. Yes. But I have the privilege of wherever I am to play a part in Yeah. Yeah. If I don't, if I can't serve, That's right. And they kind of went out with their tail between their legs, right? This was not in a, this was not in strength that they went out. They went out in weakness. You know, he who goes out weeping, bringing his sheaves with him, will come back with joy in the morning, reaping the harvest. You know, there's, we go out in weakness. You know, when you're, hoping to connect with someone and help them know Christ, you might feel your weakness, right? You're like, I don't know what to say to this person, but the Lord uses us even in our weakness. All right. Yep. Another thing that's been reached of as we come to this part of the morning is that God is not like stuck in Jerusalem. Right. But when he sends his people out into exile, he goes into exile with them. Right. Good point. Yeah, good point. Yeah, and, and a voice, the voice of God spoke from heaven to this king, to, to Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Other hands? Yeah, Susie. That's a good point. Other hands? I saw another hand. Bruce? Oh, no. It's like an auction. You can't do anything. Oh, soul! All right. So lots of illustrations of God's power, uh, not only over uh, the physical things of this world, but over the hearts of stubborn sinners, right? And again, God is evangelizing the world even through the disobedience of his people. Like his plan, you know, Paul says, his ways are higher than our ways. He used, the re- he used the rebellion of Israel to then bring in the Gentiles, and he uses the Gentiles bringing in to make the Israel jealous, and then Israel be saved, Romans 11. He's like, 
oh, the depths of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Like, man, you like, you're using even our sin. Oh my goodness, you know, this, it's amazing. Um, so God, God is powerful and he's sovereign and he, he turns the king's heart in his hand like a water course wherever he wishes so we can have hope and we can have confidence and we're called to pray for our leaders whether we voted for them or not and we're called to pray for world leaders that we don't like so much, right? Because God is able to do these things. What if, this is crazy, what if um, this whole war that's happening, that one of the reasons is for Christians to pray for Vladimir Putin and for him to come and know Jesus, like, I'm not, I'm not, but what if, what if that's something that comes out of it, you know? So think big in our prayers, right? And then God knows everything, even the future. Obviously, if he's sovereign over everything, he knows everything, even the future. And it's sort of like, why would you say even the future if you just said he knows everything? Well, because we can say he knows everything, but then we're surprised that he knows, knows the future. So, all right. The Statue of Empires, um, Chapter 2, verse 36 to 43. So this is Daniel interpreting, interpreting this dream that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had. I'll read it. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? You're the king of kings, but God gave you the kingdom and the power and the might and the glory. And into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay." See, and as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. Um, he's prophesying specific empires, and you can look up, people sort of think about different ones or different things, but you've got like the Persian Empire, of, uh, the Greeks and the Roman Empire, basically those are the main things that are being talked about there. Sure. Yes? Okay. Right. Yeah. Interesting, good point. That's a good point. That's a good point. So yeah, so he gives these he gives details of future empires that we can look back and go, oh wow, that's that's what happened, right? And then the beasts, uh, seven fifteen to twenty-five. Uh, 
As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These, this is a vision that Daniel had, but this is the interpretation. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. Uh, and, about, and about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. These are just, this is the language of the interpretation of these visions, the vision that Daniel had about these beasts and the horns and things like that. God is very specific about specific rulers and what's going to happen. Again, he's like, I've got the plan, I know the plan, and I'm revealing the plan to you to know that I'm in control. And even though y'all are in Babylon, I wield the nations, and you're the apple of my eye, and I will protect my saints. And then I'm going to skip this, the ram, the goats, and horns. I think that's the part that talks about Alexander the Great and other specific rulers. You can read that on your own. For the sake of time, we're going to move through. All right, God is gracious. The restoration and salvation of Nebuchadnezzar and then the sending of Jesus. Um, I'm going to read Daniel 4, 34 to 37. This is likely Nebuchadnezzar's salvation. Daniel 4, 34 to 37. Just, just soak this in and, and think about how amazing it is that these are the words of the most powerful man upon the earth of the day who is in rebellion against God. At the end of the days, that's of his humiliation, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High. It's almost like the prodigal son, like coming back, right? And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, 
And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. It's so beautiful. All right. And let's look at Jesus, lastly. Um, The stone of salvation, 2, 44 and 45, talks about this rock. It's the end of the prophecy that I didn't read to you because I wanted you to get it at this time. So chapter 2, 44, 45. This is at the end of the statue with all the different things that it's made up of and the, the feet with iron mixed with clay. Verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. In the vision, the stone that hit the statue became a mountain that covered the whole earth. And my understanding is he's actually giving the timing of this that during that Roman Empire beast, that big kingdom, the stone would come and establish this kingdom. And so that's Jesus, right? Yes, right, right. The kingdom started spreading throughout the world. Um, the, the Daniel 7 part is about the, um, well, it's others. Let's see. I'm trying to be mindful of your time. It's 942. Um, let's do it. If you need to go for music stuff, you can. 726 to 27. It's talking about these kings wearing out the saints and all this stuff in the future. Chapter, uh, verse 26 of chapter 7. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey them. So... Those who are being persecuted and oppressed by governments and have family members killed by people persecuting Christians, right? We are the saints of the Most High who will be given an everlasting kingdom which will not be destroyed. A lot of the Christian life is about looking ahead to our inheritance, right? Paul's like, why are y'all suing each other? You, all things are yours in Christ. You'll be given all things at the resurrection, Um, So it's this forward hope, no matter what's happening currently. And then the Son of Man, 7.13 to 18, says this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting kingdom, which shall not pass away and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Again, the prophecy of the Father giving the kingdoms to Christ. Ask of me, and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. Psalm 2. And the last, the suffering Messiah. Daniel 9, 25 to 27. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. 
Then for 62 weeks that shall be built again with, square, with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Um, this talking about this anointed one being cut off. I believe that's talking about Christ. Some of your translations may say the Messiah or the Christ. And so, by, so the stone that came to destroy these empires was actually to save the world, but the stone, in order to save these empires, had to be crushed at the cross, right? It had to be crushed at the cross and then, be, and then rise up as this resurrected stone, this living stone that would join us to him and make us living stones in him. All right, let me pray for us. I know that was a lot, but it's 945. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the stone that is Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that Jesus is able to humble anyone. Thank you for saving us and humbling us, God. We pray that this would give us great courage and hope in the midst of wars and rumors of wars, that this would give us great boldness and prayer, uh, bold, bold prayers, big prayers for salvation of people that the world would be surprised at. And Father, we pray that you would set our sights on the, the kingdom that will be fulfilled at Jesus' return. And please help us to be faithful, to use our gifts, and to trust you as we walk with you, um, to be part of your letting your kingdom come and your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you. We worship you. We pray for our worship service that you would give us tastes and sights of this kingdom together as you rule and reign in us and as you fill us with your Holy Spirit and fill us with the knowledge of your love, filling us with your glory, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. Thanks.